Amen. All right, let's open up our Bibles this, this morning. Let's open up to uh, Matthew's Gospel. All right. You guys ready for, for Christmas? Why is that? Be- Uh-oh. What, what? Don't forget the angel tree outside. Please uh, remember that. I know sometimes we can get on autopilot and uh, after service is over, but please try to make your way uh, over to the angel tree. You will really encourage people and uh, help some people. And uh, teaming up and helping other people is a really beautiful thing uh, any time of year. And uh, I'm also grateful for, uh, that we have uh, elders in our church. Uh, I'm very grateful for that. When you read the New Testament, that was something very important when Paul established churches. <laughs> was to make sure that there's, there were elders in these congregations. It's great to have examples of, of uh, godly men who love their wives, take care of their families, and uh, really serve God. So it's, it's good to hear uh, from our elders, you know. And uh, I, I hope that we can come to a place where we, we can have direct talks with one another. Uh, so I appreciate, uh, Bob, your willingness to uh, share your convictions uh, with us based on Scripture and to, you know, Reorient our universe. Amen. That's good stuff. We've all had to have those talks. And um, we're going to hopefully be encouraged this morning by looking at Matthew's gospel uh, for the the, uh, most part of our message this morning. Because we're in a time that is uh, traditionally known as Advent. Now that's a word that many of us don't really use much in our normal vernacular. Uh, but uh, this time of year, it is, we're in the season of Advent. And some of you may go, oh, yeah, Advent, that's right, where you get the calendar and you get the chocolate every day, you know. Uh, that's how some of us really are, are aware of Advent is because of the, the calendars that, that are out that kind of count down uh, really to Christmas Day, which is not really what Advent's all about, but kind of is. Uh, funny how things get commercialized, right, you know. And when chocolate is involved, or bacon, usually it's going to do well. So there you go. But, um, but Advent really is, is really celebrating kind of the four Sundays before Christmas. That's usually what happens in, in many, uh, many, many churches, many denominations that uh, celebrate Jesus. Uh, they'll take four, kind of the four Sundays before Christmas uh, to really talk about the Advent, which is from a Latin word, Adventus, which means really arrival which is really the, the arrival of Jesus, okay? And uh, so it's, it's really looking back at taking like four Sundays to really kind of immerse yourself into what was going on when Jesus was arriving, uh, especially the first time. But also there's an aspect of Advent uh, where you also think about the second arrival of Jesus because he is coming back. He is coming back. So there's also another layer of kind of the Advent story. And so today I just figured, hey, we don't necessarily have an official Advent calendar that we follow for our sermons, but you know what? It is December, and it is one of the Sundays before Christmas, and so we're going to have a good old-fashioned Advent-type message today, where we look at some of the events surrounding the first arrival of Jesus. And hopefully when we do that, even though the story's familiar, uh, hopefully we can still be willing to allow our hearts to go there. And just perhaps, even though we're familiar with Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus and all that, but 
Could, could there be something that God can still speak to you about this morning that can help you spiritually right now, uh, today? And I hope that you can have, have that heart. Because some people say familiarity breeds what? Contempt. So, so if you're really familiar with the story of, of, of Jesus and Matthew, does that mean that you, you have contempt for it? Is that where we are? Surely not, really? I don't think familiarity automatically breeds contempt. I think there's a, a step before contempt. And maybe that's where some of us are. Maybe familiarity has bred indifference. Eh, you're not moved really anymore. Eh, that's pretty cool. Eh, what are you having for lunch? Sometimes we can be so familiar with something that it just doesn't really move us anymore. So I don't think we have contempt, but maybe some of us are just indifferent, apathetic about what really happened before that first arrival uh, of Jesus. So hopefully we can dive into the scripture and hopefully something can help you kind of get spiritually reoriented, right, in your spiritual universe. So let's uh, go to God in prayer. Father, we come this morning, we want to humble ourselves. We want to be reminded of, uh, of the passage that Douglas focused on last week in Philippians 2, where Jesus uh, emptied himself, made himself nothing. God, I hope that we can have that heart this morning to be humble, have that type of attitude, uh, to empty ourselves of any pride. God, help us to connect. Help us to put ourselves into this Advent message, the story of the arrival of your son, Jesus. God, thank you for not leaving us here by ourselves. Father, thank you for your heart to look down upon your creation, to see the humans that you made in your image, to see the plight that we were in. Thank you for your willingness to come, to dwell among us, to become one of us, to live with us, to save us, to give us hope. Thank you, Father. Help us never allow, I pray that never gets old to us, that we always are grateful for the hope that you becoming one of us can give us. So, Father, I pray for this morning that uh, we can be inspired by your word. And this timeless story that prayerfully always brings us closer to you because you came so close to us. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We'll pick it up here in Matthew chapter 1. And we'll start in verse 18, although we will go back to the beginning. But I wanted to kind of start here. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. You know, the first thing I, I do want to talk about here is, first of all, I, I think it goes hand in hand with what Bob talked about a little bit. Because sometimes we think, well, Jesus' arrival, that should mean things go better for me. Right? If, if God is going to come close to my life, therefore my life needs to turn out the way I want it to or turn out better. And when you see this advent, this arrival of Jesus, these people are put in a bad spot. This is not going to be smooth and easy. The arrival of God into our world, the incarnation, right? God enfleshing himself. It didn't make life easy for these two. Mary and Joseph, this is a pickle right here. This is a challenging situation. None of us wants to be in this situation. I mean, brothers, if you got a woman, you want to marry her, and all of a sudden she wants to have some Starbucks with you, and you want to, you want to talk about the wedding, the honeymoon, where you're going to go, and she's like, you know what, I just got this one, I just got to, I mean, I'm looking forward to all, this, to all of that, but I, I'm pregnant. Now, you know, you would not be fired up right there. You might get volcanic like Bob talked about getting. You might want to go there. But then you pull yourself together, and then she said, you know, well, well okay, well, who is he? Who, who is he? Because you know how men are. We want to get all, you know. It's that dude at L.A. Fitness, isn't it? I knew it. Right, you know? Because that's men. We want to deal with the situation. But then she's going to drop with you. Well, it's, it's, it's actually the Holy Spirit. I mean, what, are, what is going on right there? How would you handle that conversation? What would you do? This is a challenging spot. This, in their society, this was horrible. It's harder to do that even in our society, right? But, but back then, wow. So this advent, this arrival of, of God to mankind, uh, it didn't make their life automatically easier. And you know what? I think we got to look at that. We, we got to be willing to be uncomfortable at times as well. God coming to your life doesn't just mean easy sailing from here on out. Okay? It might cost you some of your relationships with people that you consider to be friends. Because you might have to say to them, you know, my relationship with God is actually going to cause me to have to go this route. You know? And, and, and you, your friends might not understand that you're willing, because of your convictions, to obey God into a situation that seems crazy. we got to be willing to stand up for God. Even though it causes us challenges, makes our life uncomfortable at times. 
humiliation, public disgrace is what the scripture says. But they were willing to endure it for God. How willing are we? Or are we too entitled? Sometimes I really agree. I, I think that's one of our challenges. I really do. We have the idol of comfort that we bow down to. But also what I see here that I wish, I, I hope that we haven't lost what I see here in the story, this arrival of, of, of God to, to mankind for the first time through Jesus. What I notice in Joseph is I hope that we haven't lost what Joseph shows us right here. The first thing I see in Joseph is he is attentive to spiritual promptings. He is attentive to spiritual promptings. His particular one came in a dream, right? An, an angel speaking to him, Joseph. <laughs> now, I've never experienced that personally. I, I don't remember hardly any of my dreams personally. But I know I don't remember being audibly talked to Jeff, you know, hey, son of Jeff uh, and Adrian, you know. <laughs> I've never had that experience. But I do feel like in my life, I feel that I have had experiences where I have felt some type of spiritual prompting. And a lot of times it's, don't say that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nah, uh -uh. One of those groanings of the spirit, you know, right? Nah, I think that's probably the one I hear the most in my walk with God. I really, and I do believe, and I've learned over time, you know what, mm. Uh-uh, I, I, I'm being quiet. <laughs> Younger in my faith, oh, man, I got this. And oh, man, get myself into trouble. But I do think we do need to be really attentive to spiritual promptings. And I can't define what those are. And look, at this room's too big. But we can't just shut it down. And I appreciate here Joseph has a, 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 a dream where an angel talks to him, calls him son of David, reminding him, maybe helping him a little bit. You know, hey, that's the line of the Messiah through David. You're in that line. Hello. Hey, you, you can have a role here. But hey, this is something that you need to do. And he gets up and he wakes up. And the scripture clearly says he obeys. He, he obeys. You know, and I want us to have that type of heart. And many of us get our spiritual promptings from God's word, all right? And that's a, that's a, that's a place where we can go to, to spend time in, in scripture and to, to read about uh, how God has worked in other people's lives or letters that he inspired written to people trying to walk in the way that we're trying to walk. And, and prayerfully, we have that spiritual attentiveness to respond when commands are given in scripture, Right? Or to respond when a godly person brings something to your attention that with the Bible open, prayerfully we can have that type of receptiveness to those moments. And I, I appreciate that about the Advent story, that we can see humans just like you and me being hit with news that's kind of, wow, where'd this come from? But having the humility and the attentiveness to spiritual promptings and the humility to obey. I love seeing that here. In verse 21, she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Save his people from their sins. Now, who are his people? 
right? Now, it could have said, it could have said, because he is going to save God's people from their sins, and, and, and we might be tempted to think, well, that's Israel. That's God's chosen nation. That's his people, right? But interestingly, here it says, you know, he's going to call him Jesus. He's going to save his people, you know, from their sins. And, and, and the cool thing is when you look at the genealogy of Jesus, you start to see his people form all people. Okay? And, and look here in, in Matthew chapter 1. I love this his people. You know, it's, it's cool when you have a, like my wife's white, I'm black. We, we joke each other all the time. We can, we can mess with each other. Like if some black person does something crazy, she'll say, that's your people. You know what I mean? <laughs> if white people do something, I go, see, your people. That's your people. You know, we, we can have fun with that, right? Right? You know? And so who are Jesus' people, right? Who are his people? But when you look at the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, and we don't have time to read every single name. And if you've been around the, the church, you've, you've heard this, but man, does it, it should never get old, right? First of all, they include women, which was rare in official genealogies, right, in this day and age. Four women in, show up in this, in this genealogy of Jesus. His people. This is where Jesus comes from, right? And they're not just Israelites. You've got Tamar, right, in verse 3, who was deceptive. She was all upset because her father-in-law promised her you know, to provide her with a husband, and he was dragging his feet, had no intention of doing it. So she deceives him, dresses up like a prostitute, sleeps with him. Whoa, craziness. That's in the line of Jesus tomorrow. Rahab, prostitute. That was her, that was her job. But she was willing to, right, help the spies, right? But what was her, her job as a prostitute? And again, not an Israelite. What about Ruth? Ruth was a Moabite in verse 5. What about in verse 6? It doesn't even mention her name, but it says Uriah's wife, who could have been a Hittite. Uriah was a Hittite. I don't know. Uh, so these are, these are, first of all, they're women, and then they're not even Israelites. But then you can go, well, what about, then there's just good people. You can say good people who've done bad things, right? What about Abraham? Abraham was a good guy. But he made some mistakes in his walk, right? Probably not the wisest idea to go down to Egypt, lie about his wife, take an Egyptian servant back with him, have a child through the servant. Abraham, what are you thinking? Hey, good, a good person doing bad things. That's in the genealogy. You ever heard of David? <laughs> David, great guy, right, in a lot of ways. Man after God's own heart did a lot. We can go down the line. So who are Jesus' people? Sinners. Exactly. Everybody. Gentiles, Jews, men, women, royalty type people, obscure nobodies like Mary and Joseph. That's who Jesus' people are. Just like this room right here, all kind of folk. So Jesus came to save people from what? From sin. Okay? That's what we need. Okay, that's the word that most people don't want to hear. But that's what we need salvation from. We don't need to be saved from just a lack of knowledge or, oh man, we need to be saved from bad political situations or we need to be saved from just bad economies. No, that's not our biggest need. We need to be saved from our sins. 
That's why Jesus came. That's the advent. That was, that's the why. His, his first arrival, that's why. We needed, his people, all of us need to be saved from our sins, our missing the mark. We didn't meet the standard. We fell short of the glory of God. We rebelled against God. Every single one of us had a choice. At some point, an accountable age, you chose to do your own thing. You chose to live apart from God instead of with God. You sin. You separate yourself from God. You can't blame it on your upbringing. You can't blame it on anybody else. You chose. And you are stuck. And you cannot save yourself. You cannot do it. So that's why we needed God to intervene. We needed him to intervene. And at this time in story, in the story, God's people, the Israelites were supposed to be the ones to teach the whole world about who the one true God was. But even them, this time that we're reading in Matthew 1, they hadn't, they were thirsty. They hadn't heard from the prophets in a while. No one was writing things down. It was Malachi had finished and man, there's 400 years of silence. What's going on? What about all the promises to David and to Abraham? What about those promises? What, what happened to them? Has God left us? That was the context of Joseph and Mary. They were just Israelites waiting. When is God going to, is God going to do something? And boop, out of nowhere, hey Mary, how you doing? You're going to have a child, really? Wow, I got to tell this to Joseph. Joseph, how you doing, buddy? Wake up, I got something for you. You need to marry this woman. Okay, I'm going to do it. But that was the arrival of Jesus. He came to save his people from their sins. And then in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That beautiful name, God with us. One person, God, but also us. And that one name, joining God and all of us in one person, Jesus. That's what we needed. God with us. But why is he with us? He, he associated with us. He didn't have to do that. And look how he came. If you could have come to your creation, how would you have come? Right? You know how you would have done it. You would not have done it this way. I know you. Because you and I, we're the same in a lot of ways. If we, if we start something, like if you start your own, let's just say you start your own company. All right? If you, just, if you started your own company, and then, you know, you, you decided you wanted to come back and, and see how things are going, right? And when you come back to the, to the let's say you go to the business, the, the building, you walk in, what are you expecting? Hello, Mr. Hickman, how are you doing? It's great to have you here. Things are going wonderfully. Would you like to come into the office? And you walk into the office, you want the nice seat. What's for lunch? I want some steak tartare or something nice. <laughs> Hook me up. I want to, you know, you want the treatment that the red carpet. That's how we are. We feel important. I started this thing. Show me some respect around here, right? That's how we are. Whoa, wait a minute. God intervenes. God becomes one of us and is with us. 
And how does he come? He comes to an obscure woman and an obscure man in the middle of an overtaken country. The Romans have overtaken it. The obscurest part of Israel, kind of. This couple? And then, and then comes as a baby? Really? Well, at least they got to get, you know, be born at, you know, Wellstar and all the beautiful. No, no. You know, Joseph's like scooting over the manure over in the corner. Trying to make way for his wife, having her first child in that environment? Really? No one even willing to give up a bed for a pregnant woman? I mean, seriously. I feel like at least I would have done that. Hey, Mr. Hickman, there's this woman and she's about to give birth. Would you be willing to give up your room? I got to feel like I would do that. But no one willing to even make room for a pregnant woman. Wow. Challenging situation. That's how Jesus comes and he becomes one of us. Not only in his birth, even in his baptism, he identifies with us. In his life, he's a friend of sinners, gluttons. In his death, he's hanging on a cross between criminals. Everything about Jesus, God with us. He's not trying to lord it over us. He's with us. Everything about his arrival tells you he is with you. He is one of you. And that should give us some sense of joy and great gratitude. What kind of God would do that? A God who loves you because he knows that's the only way you would really get it. That's the only way you'd get it. He didn't just just send a book for us to read. Amen, we have the Bible and it is helpful. But that's not all he sent. He became one of us. Dwelled among us. Allowed us to touch him. He cried when we died. Even though we were sinners. Even though we didn't deserve anything. He He gave it up for us. He shed blood for us. He shed his blood for us. Brody read the scripture for the communion. Right? Some people for, you know... A good person might choose to die. Do you ever think about, man, Jesus shed his blood for us. All of this, and I got to be honest with you, sometimes I do get frustrated. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes I get frustrated. And it's honestly, it's similar in a, in a similar vein, but what Bob is sharing, but a little different. You know, I, I don't think we really fully grasp how incredible it is to have God with us. And I think we forget that God with us is us with us. The church. The church is the most visible expression right now of really God with us. It's, we can touch each other. We, we, can, we can relate to one another. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I get so frustrated when I, I do feel that some of us are just putting church life, each other, the lowest of our priorities. It's so discouraging to me. When I know people need it, make it the last of their priorities. And I'm just telling you, if that's who you are, you're missing out big time on God being with you. And I'm not just talking about Wednesday nights, right? We, we've got small groups and some small groups people don't show up, and, right? Oh, I've got this to do, or I've got to, I really want to see this, or oh... 
But if it happens one time, amen. You know, once in a while, it happens to us all. But if that's your pattern, rarely air on Wednesday night, rarely meeting with your small group, rarely connecting with other people in the church, what are you doing? You're not connecting. It's not God with, you're not feeling the God with us that you could be feeling and experiencing. And here's the problem. The rest of the world is not getting the God with us either. We got to reevaluate our heart when it comes to, do we really appreciate God with us or not? We got to make this place a bigger priority in our hearts. These relationships need to be primary in our lives. They do. You know, God, God hey, he could have stayed in heaven with Jesus and the Spirit. And they, did, they were doing just fine. But he, but he came here for us. And we need to learn how to be inconvenienced sometimes for the sake of this, this body right here because it's the body of Christ. Because that's what the Advent is about on some levels. You got to make room for, this, for Jesus to make his arrival. You got to be humble and you got to prioritize him. And I challenge some of you, if you haven't been going to your small group, get your calendar out and make it to the next time. Stop leaving your brothers and sisters hanging. At some point, somebody got to say something. And it's not right. Reconnect. Prioritize each other. Why? Because that's the example that Jesus set for us. He prioritized you. And that's the beauty of the Advent. His first arrival. He came to save you. And to be with you. And the beautiful thing is, that's how Matthew's gospel starts, right? But how does it finish? The same way, right? What are the last words of Matthew's gospel? Jesus saying, and I will be with you always. To the very end of the age. If you're out there going and making disciples and spreading this message of God is with us. Isn't that what the gospel's about? God is with us. We're not alone. We have hope. Why? Because God is with us through Jesus. God has shown himself to be with us. The Advent. It's not just the first arrival. It's the second. I read a quote, and it's to keep Christians from glossing over the brokenness of the world and to encourage them to prepare and anticipate the second coming. And I want to give you some scripture to read. I want you to meditate on 1 Peter 4 this week. Take some time to read that passage, 1 Peter 4, as you think about these concepts of the Advent. God is with us, saving all of us from our sins. Let's go ahead and pray as we have run out of time this morning. I want to invite the uh, singers up. Let's say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for coming to be with us, to become one of us, to identify with us, to save us. Not just to lord it over us. Father, thank you that you didn't just come to give us a book to read. Father, I pray that we don't just decide we just want, your, we just want godly principles to live by. That's not what we want, Father. We want you. Help us, to, help us to even want you more. Help us to put you first in our lives. Because you showed that you were willing to put us first in yours. Thank you for your first arrival. And I do pray that we are preparing and anticipating the next when Jesus comes. 
to set everything right. Thank you, Father. We will not be entitled. We will be grateful people serving you and expressing our gratitude in the world that we live in. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.